going to open our Bibles tonight. It is a good idea to bring a Bible to church in some format, whether it's a paper Bible or you've got it on some kind of device. Um, But we're going to read from one of the Gospels uh, tonight, Matthew's Gospel. And I want to read you just a few verses from Matthew 8, um, verses 14 to 17. So that's the first Gospel in the New Testament, Matthew and um, chapter 8, and then verses 14 to 17. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up, and she began to wait on him. And when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, And he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities, and and he carried our diseases. It's a short passage, so I'm going to read it to you again. I I really kind of, I I just want to um, make sure that we kind of really listen to it and imbibe it. So when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. And when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and he healed all the sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and he carried our diseases. So we're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. And prior to this healing um, of Peter's mother-in-law, Peter, one of his followers, one of his disciples, um, prior to this healing, Matthew tells of Jesus encountering a leper in some of the previous uh, stories, a Gentile centurion, and, and now a, a woman Peter's mother-in-law. So a complete outsider, Jesus encounters a a leper and heals him, uh, heals him, a Gentile and a woman. All meet Jesus and they are all changed and they are all transformed by his mercy and his grace. Back in the day, in Jesus' day, uh, the temple courts in Jerusalem reflected a hierarchy of approach um, to, to God and access to the Holy of Holies. There were levels of access and privilege. And so there was, the out, there was an outer wall to the temple courts. And then there was a wall that led to the court of the Gentiles. And then there was a wall to the court of women. And then uh, you could go further and further until you came to the, the Holy of Holies. So um, you were various levels of of access. And Jesus is a wall breaker. He broke through the outer wall as he healed the leper, as he healed somebody that would have been completely outside of the temple, completely outside of access. 
And then he broke the wall uh, for the Gentiles, and then the wall for, for women, as he heals uh, Peter's um, mother-in-law. And ultimately, as Jesus died on the cross, the veil to the Holy of Holies, we read in the Bible, was torn into, and equal access to God was given for all through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was a wall breaker. So there were various levels of obstruction and, and, and lack of access. If you were a woman in that day, in that culture, if you were a Gentile, if you were a slave, and of course the Jews would get up and the Jewish men would pray every day, I thank you that I am not a woman, I thank you that I am not a slave, I thank you that I am not a Gentile. And, and they felt that they had this kind of special access to God. And then the Holy of Holies, which no one except the priest was allowed in, Jesus tore that curtain as well. So he broke down these various walls of access as he went after the lepers and as he went after the Gentiles and the centurion and, and touched him and, and brought the gospel to him and encountered him. And he went after this lady, this woman, and healed her of, of her fever and raised her up from her bed. And he went after all of these, and as he died on the cross, he took the, the veil was torn and access was given to God for all, for any, anyone and everyone. There's no outsiders for God. There's no one that is beyond the reach of Jesus. Jesus is a wall breaker, and he breaks walls down. And this is the amazing good news of the gospel. This is the, the good news that there is access for all, for anyone, and, and the same applies today, where societal norms and culture and tradition and human prejudice, whatever that might be in whatever culture we live, where we build walls and where we set up walls and we prevent access, Jesus dismantles them. So we come to the essence of the gospel when Paul writes to the Galatians and the Galatian church, and he says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, Paul writes. Those old boundaries, they're gone through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, male, female, that division is gone. Uh, slave and free, it's gone. Um, Gentile and Jew, the, there is no division. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all given access to God. Jesus breaks down these walls, for every outsider, for everyone on the fringe, for everyone who feels they don't have access to God, even today, who feels they're not good enough, don't have a way in to meet Jesus. Everyone and anyone can access him and his kingdom. We sing a song in this church by the Wren Collective, and it, and it says that there's good news for the captive. There's good news for the shamed. There's good news for the one who walked away, for the one who walked away perhaps from faith and church and uh, uh, faith in God. There's good news for the doubter, for those that struggle with doubt and the one that religion has failed, for the good Lord has come to seek and save. He is our rescuer. He is our rescuer. He's beauty for the blind man. He is riches for the poor. He is friendship for the one the world ignores. He is pasture for the weary. He is rest for those who strive. The good Lord is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our rescuer, and he gives access to all. And, and Jesus has encountered the rank outsider in the leper, and he has cleansed and healed him. 
He has healed the Gentile centurion in the verses prior to the story we read tonight. And now he heals a woman, Peter's mother-in-law at the house. They share in Capernaum from her fever. And Frederick Dale Bruner says in, in his commentary, he says, Jesus is more eager to help than we realize. And he's particularly eager to help outsiders. That he will move beyond all religious, all racial, and all sexual walls and help those who are perceived as unclean, unworthy, or unequal. Peter's mother-in-law, we read in our story tonight, was lying in bed with a fever. You know what it's like when you have a fever? You probably had one when you can't sleep or when you have very feverish sleep and your mind races and you, can't, you, you think about the same things over and over and over again and, and you feel feverish when your mind is in overdrive and you can't come to rest. There's a restless, feverish existence. And this was Peter's mother-in-law. And this may be you at times where you feel this kind of overdrive in your mind and you feel a sense of feverish kind of existence and a, and a sense of being in overdrive. And in verses 14 and 15, Jesus touches her. When Jesus came into the house, into Peter's house, which was in Capernaum, which was Jesus' hometown, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever and he, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. Jesus touches her hand, the fever leaves her, and she gets up. Jesus' healing kindness, uncaused by our good works, penetrates so deeply that it causes the good works of Jesus-centered discipleship, diaconia of service. If you notice the order here, Jesus touches this lady. He heals her. It was not her service that released grace. It was not her service or her acts, or her religious activities that released the grace and the mercy and the touch of God. It was the other way around. It was the grace of God, and it's the touch of Jesus that released her service. She got up and she began to serve after Jesus touched her, after Jesus healed her. And the order is important. It's the order of the gospel. It's the way of salvation that Jesus saves us Jesus touches us, Jesus encounters us, and he shows us his unmerited favor, his grace and his mercy, and his amazing grace. And then we respond in service. We respond and we work out our salvation. We respond to the love and the grace and the mercy of God. We don't earn our salvation. We don't earn our healing, but we respond to it in gratitude, and we work out what God works in. Jesus touched and healed this woman who was feverish and incapacitated. And as a result, she immediately got up and she began to serve. And the other thing to notice here is that Jesus' touch in this story, in his healing, his intervention, it was not requested. It, there was no request for him to do this. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. It's not a response <clears throat> in this instance. Jesus' touch, Jesus' mercy, Jesus' healing. It's not a response to religious activity. It's not a response 
even to prayer. It's not a response to faith. It's not a response to anything. Jesus saw. He saw someone in need. He reached out. He touched. And he healed. And it's not requested. It's not a response to belief or faith. She is not asked if she believes. She is not asked if she has enough faith for Jesus to touch her. Jesus just shows unsolicited mercy in healing this lady. He heals her because he's gracious and kind. And he heals her because of his mercy. And I think we probably underestimate the times that God has shown us mercy and kindness without us asking or realizing. I don't think we always know when God intervenes in our lives, when God stops something happening, when God is on the move, when God moves in our lives, when God shows us and pours out his mercy and grace unsolicited upon us. We cannot know how many times this has happened in our lives, but we may believe that it happens more than we think. Again, uh, Frederick Dale Bruner said, the mercy of God often works without being asked. We must not load the scales of faith with too much freight, as though God will not work unless we or someone else believes or prays enough. We mustn't weigh the scales too much that if we pray enough and if we have faith enough, then God might just work. We mustn't load the scales too heavily with too much freight, as though God will not work unless we or someone else believes or prays enough, unless we kind of pull the lever of heaven and get God to move and to touch and to heal, unless we get Jesus active. To think this way ruins free mercy. To think this way ruins free mercy. You know the, 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 the quote of Shakespeare, the quality of mercy is not strained. <laughs> It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes from the merchant of Venice. Mercy is like a gentle rain. We sing it in one of our songs. Mercy is falling, is falling, is falling. Mercy, it falls like a sweet spring rain. Mercy is falling, is falling all over me. Mercy is not strained. It is not demanded. It is not earned. God's mercy is abundant. And while we were still sinners, the Bible tells us, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, disinterested in him, turned away from him, rebellious against him, while we were still sinners, while we were not even looking for it, while we were estranged from God, while we were ignorant of our own sin, Christ died for us. And that is the mercy of God. While all those things were in place, we did not reach out to him. We did not ask him for his mercy. But while we were in that state, Christ died for us, for the ungodly, for those that had no interest in him. We're not reaching out for him. We're not praying. We're not exercising faith. Christ died for us, for the ungodly, for the unseeking, for the unrighteous, for the undeserving, for us. Lying in the fever of our sin. Lying in our delirium. <laughs> Divine mercy is so unmerited that it often goes into operation for its own reasons without any connection with believing at all. And in the first miracle, <clears throat> Jesus heals the leper, comes directly to him, and bows and asks for help. 
That's the story of the leper. And we too, tonight and any time, we can come directly to God for help. We can bow, we can ask, we can reach out to be cleansed and forgiven and healed. And in the second miracle, the son comes to Jesus, as it were, through the faith of the centurion. And we too, we can bring people to Jesus for help. We can intercede on their behalf, and many of us do that. And of course, the Bible tells us that Jesus himself is interceding for us. He's praying for us. He's standing for us. But in this miracle, in the miracle of the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, no one comes to Jesus for help. Jesus comes to the woman on his own. And sometimes, it's not that we come to Jesus at all. He simply comes to us with an act of egregious kindness and mercy and grace. And John Wimber, who was an old-time preacher a couple of decades ago, some of you will have heard of him, some of you won't, a bit of a Californian hippie, but he experienced the power of God in mighty ways. And he said and wrote and experienced in his books, you never, ever have to beg God for his mercy. And he had a vision of a great honeycomb over this meeting place and, and honey dropping down like from a comb on those beneath. And, and, and he felt God saying to him because he'd been pleading God to move and to reach out and to touch people's lives. And he'd been pleading and pleading. And God said, you never, ever need to beg me for my mercy. And we can rest in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once put it this way, God brings in his kingdom while we drink our little jug of Wittenberg beer. We drink our beer and God brings in his kingdom. That's what the Germans did back then. That's what Luther did with his students. But in essence, he's saying, you know, it's not all about us. God brings in his kingdom. Even as we sit, even as we relax, even as we eat and drink, God brings in his kingdom. God is at work. And no one, of course, poured himself more into preaching and prayer or hard work than Luther did, but he also rested in the sovereign mercy of God. And it doesn't all depend on you. You having enough faith, you having enough prayer, you having enough anything, you are not the savior of the universe. The Lord's unmotivated healing of Peter's mother-in-law will keep the church from ever claiming too much for her faith, her intercessory prayer, or her love. Uh, there's an ancient prayer, uh, Kyrie Eliezon. Kyrie Eliezon, it's Greek, and it means, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. It's a prayer that's been prayed down the ages, and it's an ancient prayer, Kyrie Eliezon. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. It's a good, it's a good prayer. Yeah. It's a good place to start. And sometimes, I dare to say, God will surprise us with his loving and merciful intervention. And sometimes we won't even know it's happened. And in verses 16 to 17, as we read on, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and he carried our diseases. Jesus heals all those who are demonized under oppression 
those who are sick, with a word, it says here. With a word. <laughs> Psychoanalysis and counseling are often referred to as talking cures. You know, there can be something quite curative and healing in our words, can there not? Kind words, the Bible says, are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. And Proverbs 18 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Blaise Pascal said, kind words do not cost much, yet they accomplish much. So often there is healing in our words. And we can speak kind words sometimes that touch people to the depths of their soul. And we can be touched in the same way. And if there is something curative and healing in a compassionate human word, which I believe there is, we can imagine the healing power of Jesus' divine word when Jesus speaks a word into someone's life. Psalm 107 highlights various people in trouble and distress who cry out to God for help. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them. He sent his word, and he healed them. I think the word of the Lord brings us health and healing and good mental balance and peace and rest and support. I think we would alleviate the need for a lot of counseling or deliverance ministry if we filled our life and our minds and our hearts with God's word, his truth and his life. Later in this year, we're going to do a 40-day campaign we're going to be talking about the Bible. We're going to be talking about how to read it, why we want to read it, why it changes our lives, why it is so transformative. We're going to spend 40, 42 days all reading it together, reading the same things, doing daily devotionals, talking about it on Sundays, meeting in our small groups, because I believe the word of the Lord brings healing, and the word of the Lord transforms us, and the word of the Lord inside of us is truly transformative and health. Bringing. And Jesus healed and delivered in these instances, these demonized individuals with a word. And Matthew says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and he carried our diseases. He healed all those that were sick that came to him. You know, Jesus died on the cross. And in doing so, he carried our infirmities and our diseases. He dealt a death blow to sin and sickness and its consequences. And the death and the resurrection of Jesus stand at the heart of everything. And when Jesus healed, he did so because he was to absorb in his own person the sin that was bound up with suffering. His healings were done in anticipation of Calvary. D.A. Carson writes, Healing is one of those benefits that has been secured by the cross. It occasionally is applied now, and it is promised for the new heaven and the new earth. Sickness will plague us until the consummation of the kingdom when there will be no more death and there will be no more mourning and there will be no more crying or pain. The ultimate undoing of sin from the fall of mankind will result in the abolition of sickness. So sometimes I do, yeah, I do believe, I do believe that there is healing in the atonement. But the, the atonement provides God's people with all the benefits that will ultimately come to them. For example, there is a resurrection body 
that is provided for us in the atonement. A new glorified body, that's what the Bible promises us. But we don't have it yet. It's ours, but we don't have it yet. It's coming to us. It's the same with healing. We believe, we believe, and we do believe that God heals today. And at the same time, we know that not everyone is healed all the time. The same Paul who on occasion performs healing miracles mentions on another occasion that he had to leave Trophimus behind ill on one of their missionary journeys. Or that Timothy should take a little wine for his frequent stomach problems and and infirmities. Paul himself believed to have struggled with difficulties with his eyes and had eye problems. I think we can draw down some of the benefits of the atonement of Jesus' death on the cross here and now. The forgiveness of our sins. The healing of our bodies, yes. And sometimes I think we will enjoy the fullness of all the benefits of Jesus' death on the cross when his kingdom comes in all its fullness. When there are new heavens and a new earth and when there are no more tears and there's no more sickness and there's no more pain. But in the meantime, we can pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Bring your healing power now to earth. (laughs) And we will see evidence of that, and we will experience evidence of that. But Jesus did die for our sin and sickness. He did carry our sorrow and our infirmities, as Matthew reminds us here in this passage. And he is, and these were words that Paul used at the start of the service, he is a, a mighty and a merciful God. He is both those things. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Jesus is still a breaker of walls. He's still a giver of access to the outsider and the disenfranchised and the one that is overlooked or excluded. He still reaches out with his merciful touch. And he saves and he heals us from our fevered existence and lives. And then he calls us to serve him, to give our lives to him. Yes, we should believe and have faith. We should approach him. We should seek and we should knock and we should ask. But we should not load the scales too heavily or create onerous formulas of faith that release the blessing and mercy of God only if we pull the right levers or pray the right prayers. We should also expect at times in our lives the serendipitous, kind, and merciful intervention of a God who while we were still rebellious sinners died for us. His mercy is not strained We do not need to beg for it. It droppeth as the gentle rain on every one of us. So tonight, I want to pray for you. And I want you to reach out to God. And I don't think you have to overly strain yourself. You can metaphorically have your glass of Wittenberg beer tonight. You can sit there and you can rely on the mercy and the grace of God. Remember that psalm? That we, that we sing it, your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. They're chasing me, chasing me down. 
the mercy and the goodness of God. I wonder where you're feeling feverish tonight. I wonder where your mind is in overdrive and you're trying to work things out and you can't. I wonder where you feel ill or sick or feverish. I wonder where you could use and receive the mercy and the touch of Jesus. So my simple prayer will be in a few moments, without hype, that the mercy of God will come and fall on you. I will pray, Kyrie eleison. This ancient prayer, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Would you like to close your eyes and pray with me? There's time for service and duty and hard work. And it came to Peter's mother-in-law. But it came out of a response to the mercy and the touch of Jesus. I wonder tonight where you need just that touch of God, that mercy of God. I wonder where you're feeling feverish, almost delirious, troubled. Physically, perhaps, suffering from ailments tonight or something that's troubling you. Mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. I thank you, Lord, that we never have to beg you for mercy. I thank you, Lord, that we never have to stack the scales of heaven and pray enough prayers and fulfill enough duties for you to move. I thank you, God, that many times in our lives you work without us even knowing it. You pour out your mercy from heaven. You did it while we were still sinners. You died for us. And you said to your Father, Lord, have mercy on them. And so I pray tonight, Lord, Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. Touch us, we pray. Touch our fevered brow. Touch our mind. Where it feels like it's in overdrive. Touch our physical bodies, Lord, where we are sick. I pray now, Lord, that you will have mercy and fall upon us. And we do believe that you died for our sins and for our infirmities and our sickness. We want to see more of that being downloaded from heaven in our lifetime, God. And we pray tonight that you would touch us. Reach out and touch us, Jesus. Where we sit, walk among us. Reach out and touch us now, Lord. For the heart that is troubled and struggling with forgiveness, Lord, reach out and touch that woman, that man. For the heart that feels dark and depressive tonight, I pray, reach out and touch them, Lord, with your mercy. Pour out your heavenly mercy upon them. Download your goodness from heaven, Lord. For the one that is struggling with sickness, God, and a a troubled body, God, and physical pain and suffering, Lord, pour out your mercy. Have mercy, Lord. 
one that is worried about their child, Lord, touch them tonight, Lord. Have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, you know our hearts, you know our thoughts, you know everything about us. And now perhaps you would say with me, Lord, have mercy. Let's say it out loud together. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. We pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, God. And I pray, Lord, that you will surprise us with your goodness. Pour out such goodness and blessing from heaven that we will not have room to contain it. We thank you that you are good and gracious and compassionate, God. We thank you that you break down every wall and that we have full access tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.